Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week 10 of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Associate Pastor Brittany Fenwick unpacks the restorative justice of our God and why that is good news for everyone. So we have been going through the Apostles' Creed as a church, um, and we were going to read the creed like we've been doing, but I'm going to skip it this week because I didn't plan it. So we're just not going to read it. How, how many of you are okay with that? All of you are okay with that. Great. Um, so we're going to jump right in. But before we do, I want to tell you a little story. Um, my mom is here in the front. I didn't, I didn't prep her at all. Um, whenever I teach, my mom shows up here at church, and it's awesome. Um, so I'm super thankful for my mom. But my mom was a single uh, mother, and I'm one of three. I'm in the middle, which means I'm the best one. But there's three of us total. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm, I know that words carry a lot of weight and meaning these days and like offense runs high. So I'm going to use what has become a swear word and you are all just going to have grace for me. It's the S word spanking. I know I was spanked. It was okay. You guys, I turned out great. Um, I'm an advocate of it just because I think it helped me not be a worse human than I turned out to be, but we were spanked as kids. Um, and so it is a miracle of God that when I go to the mall, um, I'm able to enjoy myself because for me as a child, the mall equaled judgment day. (laughs) My mom would say very rarely like, okay, I have to take you guys to the mall with me. And there was this sigh in us of like, We're going to go to the mall. We're not going to be able to control ourselves. We're going to get spankings when we come home. To line up to get in the car to go to the mall meant when you get home, you're going to line up to go in her room to get spankings. It just went hand in hand. There was no way around it. And so inevitably, we'd go to the mall. We'd fail. We'd lose our minds. We'd grab purses from the clearance rack and hit each other with it. When we get home, you're lining up outside my door. We deserved it, definitely. When my sibling wronged me, When I was the one hit by the clearance rack purse, we would get home, and what would happen? That particular sibling would line up outside my mom's bedroom, and I would stand outside sadistically, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, wait for the crying here, and be like, yeah, that's right, that'll teach you, right? I wanted punishment, justice, she hit me, he hit me, line up and get your turn, right? But when I was the one, which I usually was, the one who grabbed the clearance rack purse and hit my siblings, what happened when I got home? Mercy! Have mercy! There's an ongoing joke in my family that my brother and sister would just take what was coming to them. They'd go in the room, they were smarter than me, they'd put their hands on the bed, they'd take their smack, and they'd go on with their day. And I, I acted like the bed was hot lava. Touch, wait, 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 wait! Touch it, wait, 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 wait! And I'd always try to barter. If I do it right now, if I do it right now, will you do it soft? If you do it right now, I'll do it softer. Okay, but wait, 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 if I do it right now, will you, will you do it just even softer? Okay, if you do it, now you're not doing it right now, so now it's going to be two. Okay, wait, 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 if I do it right now, will you go back to just one? It, on and on and on until I rack up four, five, however many it took me to get the point that day. All of this to say, I've grown up a lot. I'd like to think I've grown up a lot, but I really act the same way now, right? When it's somebody else... <laughs> those of you who didn't hear, my sweet mother said true. Uh, There is still this deep-seated drive and justice for me, right? When someone wrongs me or wrongs someone that I love, there's a part of me that is burning with fire and is like, justice, I want justice for them, right? Standing sadistically outside the door like, yeah, I get what's coming to you. You deserve it. But when it's me who's wronged, I'm still that little kid crying, mercy, could you just give me some understanding? Could you just give me some grace, right? 
The human experience is a, is a constant, continuous flow of these experiences, right? Um, someone flies by you speeding, right? Some jerk is just driving down the street and speeding, and you're like, where are the cops when you need them? You just want to see those lights go on and get that guy, and you're like, ha-ha. But then when it's you and you're running late, you're like, oh, mercy, 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 hoping no one sees you. In fact, I was driving on the freeway a little while ago, and I'm literally driving in, in the, you know, the, the lane next to the carpool lane, the fastest lane you can be in when you're by yourself. And I look over next to me, and there's this guy in his like, fancy car in the carpool lane alone. I am burning wanting justice. How dare you? I can't just get in the car. I'm literally looking over at this guy like, oh, I hope he gets what's coming to him. I, this, is a, this is an honest story, you guys. I literally turn my judging eyes to the front of the road and notice out of the corner of my eye, I look over. There is a motorcycle cop in my passenger window looking at me going, slow down. <laughs> I swear, you can't make this stuff up. And so in that moment, I'm like, I seriously wanted the cop to get that guy so bad, but I am so grateful that he has mercy. He doesn't even pull me over. He just tells me, slow down. Humility just washed over me in that moment. But this is constantly our struggle, right? We hear about someone else's sin, and we're appalled, and we're shocked, and we're, we get all judgy, right? But if anyone were to hear about our secret sin, gosh, we just desire some mercy and some understanding and some grace. We so want this grace and mercy for ourselves, and yet we're, we're pretty stingy with it with others, right? And so this morning, we're going to be talking about um, a really exciting part of the Apostles' Creed. And this part says, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So we're going to talk about judgment this morning. Okay. So when I say that, check your mind and your body. What comes to mind? Some of you are wishing that this wasn't such a small church so you could get up and sneak out the back door, but I'll see you. We don't like it. We don't like this word judgment. We just don't like it. It carries with it some negative connotation. When we're talking about the judgment of God particularly, we think of words like fear and wrath and anger and punishment and condemnation. It just carries with it this weight that, that it's a lot easier to sidestep and just focus on all of the, the love and the fluff, um, all of the pleasant things about God. We don't like this idea of the judgment of God. Because we think of it as bad news only. We think of the judgment of God as this bad news thing. And granted, don't get me wrong, there are parts of Scripture, Scripture very clearly speaks of of the judgment of God coming and it not being good news for everyone at the end. But what we're going to talk about this morning is how the judgment of God is actually good news for everyone right now. The good news of, the, the judgment of God is good news far before it ever becomes bad news. And we so often, with this gloom and doom mentality, we focus on the end of, of this wrath. You see people on the street with signs about all of these specific people that somehow these sign holders are very sure are going to go to hell and be condemned. And yet there's so much beauty to the judgment of God that we just miss because it carries with it all of this negative connotation. And so my hope is today that we can look at this idea of our Jesus coming back to judge the living and the dead and see how much good news is wrapped into that that we so often miss. As an adult now, I can look back and see what my mother was doing after the mall and realize that it was good. Because now I'm the adult that sees those kids at the mall that thinks, those kids better be getting something happen to them when they get home because they have lost their minds. And I know what kind of adults those kids grow up into, right? We all know them. 
Um, and we don't like them as much because they are messed up, more messed up than us. But I am messed up and sinful enough to know that if my mother hadn't judged my actions as a child, if she hadn't judged them as wrong and dealt with them as such, I would be a horrible person, right? If my mother hadn't seen the ways that I was going wrong and looked at them, judged them as wrong, and stepped in as a loving mother to help correct those things, she would be a bad mother and I would end up a train wreck. Are we seeing that, right? All the parents are like, that's right. (laughs) I can look back and see my time in her room, bartering my way into more spankings, Then when I walked in, as a total act of love now, because as an adult, I look back and I know who my mom is. I know who she is, I know what her heart is, and I know what the end goal was. Now, some of us didn't have great parents. For some of us, punishment was done in anger, without love. I'm talking about healthy parenting here. And so for me, with my mom, fortunately, I was blessed with a great mother. I can look back as an adult, as a little, not the little kid who was wrapped up in, in the, the pain and the, the victim mentality of having my punishment. But as an adult, I look back. I know who my mom is. I know why she was doing it. And I know what the end goal was. And so we've heard all of this uh, negativity around the idea of judgment Um, But I think that the preferred method of sharing the love of Christ, oh wait, sorry, I don't think that. When we hear people talking about the judgment and, and trying to scare people into accepting Christ, like you want to accept Jesus, you want to become a Christian to escape this thing that's gonna happen to you, fear is a powerful motivator. It can motivate people. But I think the preferred method of introducing someone to Christ of convincing someone of why they should give their life to Jesus is not for fear of judgment day, but out of love for who the judge is. The love of Christ should compel us towards God far more than the fear of this judgment day does. There's a difference between a fear of God and a fear of this judgment. We should have a healthy fear of God and what standing before him accountable for all of our actions mean. But love is a powerful motivator. And so as we dive in this morning, I want us to remember that as we talk about this idea of judgment, the goal of judgment is justice. The goal of judgment is to bring justice. And all of us would probably say that justice is a good thing. There's this move towards social justice right now. Everyone can get on board with with the newest social justice that we're championing for and rallying for because there's something in us that longs for justice The problem is, is it's been corrupted by sin. And so if you're in a court of law and you are being held responsible for some actions, um, some, some way that you broke the law, what you long for as that person there on trial is that your judge would be merciful to you, right? But if you're the person who was wronged and that person is standing before the judge, you're longing for that judge to be just, right? And so we've messed up this idea of justice and judgment because it's been corrupted by sin. We see it play out in our court system of unjust judges or unmerciful juries. And there's something in us that longs for justice but also is hungry for mercy. And it's a conflict within us. And so we long for this judge, this ultimate judge, who would bring both justice and mercy. And so the idea of reframing what judgment means this morning is to first look at who the judge is. It's the same idea when I look back on what, how my mother treated our behavior as kids. It's colored differently in light of who my mother is. 
When we look at the judgment and justice of God, it changes shape when we realize who the judge himself is. For a lot of us, we've got some messed up ideas of who that judge is. And so we're going to unpack it a little bit um, as we get started. So we're going to jump into Acts 10. I have three different passages that we're going to come out of this morning. Um, And so the first one is Acts 10. So at this point in the book of Acts, um, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He has gone back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the disciples who have walked with him for years um, have now been trained to go out and to preach the good news of who Jesus is to the people. And so at this point in the book of Acts, uh, Peter is in the home of a Roman military officer named Cornelius. Um, who's going to end up being the first Gentile we see recorded in the book of Acts to come to know Jesus. Um, And so he offers this brief summary of Jesus' life. We're going to jump in in verse 37. Peter says, You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead." He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So Peter gives this whole summary of the life of Jesus. He healed people. He set people free. He was doing all of this good. He was killed. He was risen from the dead. And now our job as his disciples is to go out and tell the good news of Jesus and to tell people that he is the one that's been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. God appoints Jesus to be the judge over all of us. Those of us who are living now, those of us who have died, Jesus will sit at our, as our judge And you guys, this is really good news. Again, as soon as we read that passage, and he is the one appointed to be the judge over the living and the dead, it feels heavy and weighty and inherently negative. This is such good news because of who Jesus is. Good news number one for this morning. We're going to have three pieces of good news with maybe some other sprinkles of good news in the middle. But the good news number one is that Jesus is the merciful and just judge. Who is sitting on the throne doing the judging entirely matters. If the judge was only just, all of us are in really big trouble, right? We have all fallen short. We have all messed up. If you have never, ever, ever made a mistake in your life, then you would be sitting pretty. But I would venture to say that none of us fall into that category, right? And so if the judge is only just, we're all in big trouble, But we have this judge who is simultaneously perfectly just and totally merciful, whose desire is to be merciful to us. When you have been wronged, you long for justice, right? When you are the one who's been wronged, there is this longing for justice. You want a fair ruling. You want justice to be doled out. God is patient, and he is kind, and he is loving. But here's the deal. He is also passionate about his creation, He loves his creation. He loves his people. He loves this earth. He loves all that he put his hand to. And so if there are activities or actions or things 
that deface or damage or destroy the things that he loves, he is not going to let it go on forever. How many of you who are parents, if somebody was bullying your kid, beating your kid up, tearing your kid down, doing something to harm your child, would say, well, you know, I'm just going to have mercy all the time. Just mercy, mercy, mercy. You would, you would step in. You would act. Not because you are evil, but because you are good. Because you are a good parent who loves your kid, who loves your, what, has, what has been birthed of you. And so the fact that God steps in and is, and is a just judge is good news for us. How many of us look around and we see injustice around us? I mean, if you get notifications on your phone of the news, it is constant. And every time there is a new shooting or a new bombing or a new chemical attack, whatever it is, there is something that happens in us if we haven't been so jaded to not respond that cries for justice. You know, you see these clips of these children in Syria and what's just happened. That should burn within us. There is this, there is this deep-seated desire as human beings to want justice. And trust me, as angry as we get about these things that are happening in our world, our God is angry about them because he is good and because he loves his creation. He is a good and just judge. He is fair and he is right. The other side of it is that when you've done wrong, you long for a merciful judge, right? We've talked about this. We want justice, but we really also want mercy if it's for us. And so the thing is with Jesus is we get this judge who is both just and merciful. I love this, um, this quote by N.T. Wright, who's a theologian. He says, The line between good and evil doesn't run between us and them, but down the middle of each of us. And it's so easy, right, to stand on our side and to look at others and say, and, and judge their actions or their heart or their intentions or their motivations and not look at ourselves. And what, what N.T. Wright is saying in this passage is that we're all extremely messed up. We both carry this image of God and this sinful nature that have been married within each of us. And as we look around, we see the evidence of that all around us. And so we long for justice, but we also long for mercy. And it's this tension that we live in all the time. Oftentimes when you hear people who don't have, understand Jesus or don't know him or don't understand the goodness of our God, will look at, will look at God and say, any God who would judge people like that is not a God I would want to serve. They think this idea of God judging, uh, judging our actions and bringing justice is scandalous, but I would argue that the, that the scandal here is not judgment. The scandal here is not that we are all held responsible for our actions. That is very much the world in which we live, right? None of us think that we should be outside of the realm of being held responsible for our actions. The scandal is actually forgiveness. The scandal isn't that we would be held accountable for our actions. The scandal is that we should be so freely forgiven for them that we don't pay a thing. That is scandalous. The scandal is not someone doing something wrong and standing before the judge and the judge saying, this is, this is the offense and this is the punishment. It's written in stone. This is how it is. That's not scandalous. We would expect that. The scandal would be the judge saying, I'm going to pay your price for you. That's scandalous. 
At the end of the passage, it says that Jesus is the one appointed to be the judge, but that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Our God is kind, but he's not the kind of kind person that gets walked all over. He is kind in the fiercest sense of the word. His kindness pours out. He is patient and loving. And because of that, he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. That's the scandal. We are held responsible for our actions, but we have this merciful and just God who is always standing there waiting to just offer forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. It's us that get in the way, right? Because Jesus can forgive sins and can pardon you, and because his heart is for you, he will do this for you and he does do this for us constantly. The kind of justice that Jesus brings is the kind that only he can bring. And so good news number two is that we have this good, just, and merciful judge, but the kind of justice that he brings is restorative justice. Jesus is the mediator of restorative justice. Justice for justice sake is, like I said, the judge standing before you saying, this is the offense, this is the punishment, it's written in stone, this is how it happens. Restorative justice is justice for the sake of bringing about something else. Jesus sits on the throne and he offers justice to us, but with a purpose in mind. This justice that he is bringing about is restorative. He is in the business of restoring his creation constantly, bringing restoration to each person and ultimately to the world. John chapter 5 is going to be our next passage. John chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So in this passage, we see two things. We see that Jesus has been given authority to both bring justice and to bring life. These are two things that, call, that fall under the authoritative rule of Jesus. He has the authority to bring justice and to bring life. These two go hand in hand. And so the first part there in your notes says he's bringing justice. He's setting things right. Bringing justice and bringing life are two things that not only happen at the end, but are happening progressively now. He's setting things right. This is part of the restorative justice. Human life and society is out of joint. How many of you would agree that human life and society is out of joint? It feels like things just don't quite fit right, right? Every time we turn around, something is just out of place. Everything is just a little, if not incredibly, messed up. There is something that Jesus is doing now to start bringing things to justice, to start setting things right. Now and ultimately at the end. It isn't just good news that he's setting other people right. It's good news that he's setting us right. So, so often for us, if we've been wronged, we look at what Jesus is doing and we want to see justice happen, right? The good news is, is God is working that out. So if there is someone who has wronged you, if you are feeling like somebody has betrayed you, somebody has hurt you, something has been done to you, and you are the victim in some way, you better believe that the God of the universe who is just is working out that justice. You have a God who is fighting for you and who is in the process of setting things right, whether you are able to see it right now or not. That's not the only good news. 
How many of you are aware that in, internally you are very aware that you are messed up? That there is stuff in you that is also out of joint. There is stuff in you that also needs to be made right. The good news is also that he is in the process of doing that within each of us. I can remember laying in bed as a kid, and you'd feel those growing pains in your legs. And I remember, like, crying and thinking, like, the world is coming to an end. Like, something is happening in my leg. And really, you're growing, right? And it's, it's painful. There's these pains that happen. And we just want it to be over. I don't care if I never get bigger. I don't care if I'm really small forever. I just don't want to grow. I don't want to feel that pain, right? We so, it sounds funny to think of as little kids, but isn't that how we live our lives now? The Lord is trying to get in and shape us and set things right, set joints right that have been knocked out of alignment. We sing these songs and we say, have your way with me and change me and all of these things that sound really good when put to melody, but when put to practice are really challenging and it feels easier to just keep going the way that we're going than to let God step in and start making things right. But part of the restorative justice of our God that we experience now is that he is righting our wrongs, not through condemnation, but through restoration. And we're fighting him on it, constantly pushing back on this newness he's trying to bring about in us. Maturity looks like wanting to be set right. Maturity looks like knowing that your elbow is out of joint and in order for it to heal again, the doctor's got to crack it back in and it's going to hurt before it gets better and leaning into that and not pushing away from it. He's also bringing life. He's making things new. This is part of that restorative justice that he's doing. How many of you have had a time in your life where you just wish you could start over? That was an audible response. (laughs) Some of you spouses were like, that was a little too loud. (laughs) Ben didn't say that, you guys. Ben Ben was like, no, I don't want to start over. If you don't know, I'm marrying Ben in two months, so he's very excited. (laughs) How do I come back from that? Um, Yeah, how many of you guys... Have at a time when you just wish you could start over, a fresh start, a new beginning. I've had times like that where I think, man, if I could just move to a city where no one knew me, no one knew who I was or what I had done, it would just be so nice to start over. The thing with Jesus is that he's always trying to give us new beginnings. His mercies are new every single day. We're the ones that get hung up on what happened yesterday. We're the ones that forget that he is making us a new creation, that he is setting things right within us, that he is working out our salvation within us and that it's painful. We're the ones that forget that when we are in him, we are a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. We forget that. We get in our own way. But part of the restorative justice of our God is that he is making us new. He's presently, actively, ongoingly making you new and we're constantly fighting it. He is doing this in us now. We, we talked a few weeks ago about this already and not yet nature of the kingdom of God, that there's already some of this being worked out, being fleshed out here now, but also it's not yet being brought to completion until the end. And so we experience these things partly in now, and we will see it in full later. And the most beautiful picture of this is in Revelations 21. Revelations 21, 1 through 5 
uh, John is having this vision of, of the end times, of what is going to happen, we get to see a glimpse into the end of this. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, there, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We had to memorize this passage in one of my courses in seminary. And it's one of the things I look back on as the most grateful because this is potentially the most beautiful and hope-giving passage of the Bible. It's It's so hard to see how how things could change in the present sometimes when we're in the midst of it, but to be able to look ahead and know how it ends, to know that we have this God who is going to set all things right and make all things new, it gives us strength for the journey. And so God's heart has always been restoration through salvation. Salvation was never just for salvation's sake. If salvation was the end goal, we would just be in a neutral standing before God, right? If we, if we are held accountable for our actions and we were meant to pay the price for our actions and we were just saved from those consequences, we would just be at a neutral standing before God. But he goes even further and he takes us, he saves us, and then he starts to restore us and make us new and set us right and turn us into what we were created to be from the very beginning that we have lost sight of. There's a misrepresentation of God that he's this angry old man with a white beard sitting on a throne who's anxiously waiting to judge you and give you what you deserve. How many of us kind of have this picture of God sometimes? I do. I honestly do. Mostly when I am in a season of sin. I feel like God is this angry, white-bearded man on a throne anxiously waiting to give me what I deserve. But that is not the representation that the Bible gives us of him. John three sixteen to 17 says, For God so loved the world, he loved the world and you so much, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The point isn't condemnation. The point is salvation and restoration and reconciliation. He isn't waiting to give you what you deserve. He is waiting to give you what you don't deserve. Grace and mercy and forgiveness and second chances and third chances and new starts and fresh beginnings And a love that covers a multitude of decades and decades of sinning against him. This is the kind of judge who awaits us. This is the kind of restorative 
justice that he longs to bring to each of us and to this world, both ongoing now and culminating in a future hope. And so good news number three this morning is that we have a present and future hope because of who sits on the throne and the kind of justice he is working out in and through us today. Last passage we're going to look at is 1 John chapter 2. Verse 20, uh, 28, it says, John says, So now, little children, which is you all and me, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. And so because we have this this just and merciful judge sitting on the throne who longs to bring restorative justice to each of us and to our world, because we know he is in the process of working this out now, and because we were able to know how it ends, we both have a present hope and a future hope. We have a present hope knowing that God is for us. Some of us are sitting here this morning and feeling like, by the looks of the world around you and your circumstances, that God might just be against you. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. God is always for you. He is fighting for you. I love that last song that Wynn did this morning. He is, he is pursuing you. He is chasing after you. This reckless, relentless pursuit of his people is the thing that characterizes our God. The story of the Bible, you want the Bible summed up in a few words? It is the relentless pursuit of his people. God's relentless, reckless pursuit of his people, doing whatever it takes to make sure that his people can have restoration and reconciliation with him. He will go to any length to grab you, to pull you to himself, and to continue to make you into what he was creating you to be to begin with. All of the muck and the, and the filth and the weight of the world and the weight of our sins and the weight of the things that people have done to us, all of that stuff that feels so yucky that weighs us down, his desire is to start peeling that away from you. Restorative justice, just pulling it off of you and making you into what he originally created you to be, to be free to love him and to love others. He is for you, and there's no greater picture of that than a God who would come down from his majesty in heaven, take on this weak and frail body, become one of us, and be obedient to the point of death on a cross so that you might have reconciliation with God. We have a present hope knowing not only is he for us, but that he is changing us. In verse 2, it says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. And it says we will be like him when he appears. Brothers and sisters, you are not yet what you will be. 
If you don't like what you are right now, take heart. You are not yet what you will be. If you're feeling, I wish I was less like this, and I wish I was more, and I wish, I, I wish all of these things that we rip our, you are not yet what you will be. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. God is not done with you yet. You are not yet what you will be. You are in process. That's one of our values at this church. One of the things that we say over and over again, everyone is in process. Our desire is to make this space where anyone could walk in at any point in their life journey and know that it is safe to be exactly where you are. But process is not without purpose. There is a destination in process. Implicit in the word process is that you are processing into something else, right? And so we are being made more and more into what we are created to be in this process. He is changing you. And as we mentioned, growing pains are hard and we just want them to be over. But I would offer that if you are in a season of growing pains right now, we as a church are in a season of growing pains right now, you can't wish it away. You can ignore it. You can choose to not deal with it, but you can't wish it away. We can identify growing pains as a sign that our God is working out restorative justice within us that he is setting things right, and that he is making things new. So if you're feeling growing pains in your life this morning, don't push them away. Lean into what God might be saying to you in this season. And we have a future hope knowing that he is coming back. I'll invite the worship team back up. We have a future hope knowing that he is coming back. This part of the Apostles' Creed that we are looking, back, looking at today said, "...from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead." From thence he will come. There is nothing more hopeful than knowing that our God is who he says he is and he has always done what he said he will do and so we can be sure that he will always do what he says he is going to do. And he is going to come back. He will come back. He will set things right. He will make things new. And between now and then, we've got a lot of choices to make, right? We have a lot of choices to make between now and then. We will all be held accountable for our actions. We know this. This is, this is the way things work. None of us expect to never be held responsible for our actions, right? What we did and what we did not do. But as we talked about this morning, that is not the scandalous part. What is scandalous is the mercy of the cross. That there might just be a way for justice to be served, for our wrongs to be made right without us having to pay for it. This idea that Jesus would come down and pay for it for us and cover us in mercy and grace and forgiveness and then walk us out in process towards healing and restoration, that is scandalous. It is scandalous and it is good news for every single person who has ever lived that that is an option. Wherever you are right now, wherever you stand with God, whatever you're wrestling with, wherever you are in your process of life, whatever things are out of joint and you can feel God wanting to pop them back in a socket and you're resisting him, wherever you're feeling those stretching, growing pains and you just want to ignore it, my heart for you today is that you would lean into that and remember that this God who is working out all of these things, making these things right, righting the wrongs, bringing new life, that he is just and that he is merciful and that he longs to be gracious with you in the process. 
that we would stop resisting him, that we would lean in, that we would let him fix the things in us that are broken because we remember who it is that's doing the fixing. So this morning as we worship, I want to encourage you to fight the urge to fight him. Some things to ask yourself as we, as we begin to respond in worship is what pieces of your heart is God trying to heal? What sins is he trying to free you from this morning? What wrongs have been done to you that he's asking you to trust him with? Where are we longing for justice when we need to extend mercy? Where are we asking for mercy when we need to come face to face with a restorative justice that God's trying to do in us? Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.